when I started studying Torah, it just made me feel like I had come home. I had spent my life, raised my kids in, in uh, different churches. When I went to church, we were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, just about. Sang in the choir, had my kids involved in the church activities, in vacation Bible school, and the choirs, a handbell choir. But there was something missing. I always felt there was something missing. And when I discovered Torah, I felt like, I mean, I cried. I felt like I had come home, that I had finally found the right path. Because I believe in the Savior. I believe He lived, He taught, He died for us, He rose again, and He will return. But there was a lot missing. What was missing was Torah, the deeper understanding of the Holy Scriptures. by religion and hypocrisy, hate being preached to, something missing in your life, you haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Revelation, the revelation of, of, of Yeshua. And that's what it is. It's the revelation of who he is, the revelation of his will, the revelation of everything he is going, has done, is doing and will do into all of the future time. And we're going to go ahead and move on into chapter 15. We spent some time in chapter 14. Actually, we've had uh, three different teachings in chapter 14. And uh, I encourage you to hear those. They're on the Internet or pick up those CDs. And um, basically, we looked at holiness. We looked at God's judgment. And we looked also at the wonderful attitude of worship of the 144,000 who were in heaven and the special song that the Lord had given them, a song of worship, a song of praise. He gave them a new song. And we looked at the fact that throughout the book of Revelation, we see different groups of people who become redeemed by the Lord, who the Lord does special things with. And almost every single time He does that, He gives them a new song. Has the Lord given you a new song in your life? Has the Lord redeemed you and given you a new song to sing before Him? That's what He desires in our life. Not a tired old banal song that somebody else may have sung before, but He wants your life to be a wonderful song of praise. And even though we're going now into the final segments of, uh, of, of this book, filled with wrath, we're going to see wrath, and bowls of judgment, the Lord always brings us back to the central focus. You know, the Lord Yeshua prayed, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody know those words? Any good Catholics in our midst, okay? Or anybody else? You know, actually, that's a Jewish prayer, by the way. We'll do a study on that sometime. All those words that he says in what we call the Lord's, which is really the Apostles' Prayer, almost every single verse in there comes out of the Hebrew book of prayer. The Lord took from the Hebrew book of prayer and turned it into a prayer that He gave for us that has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Tell that to your Catholic mother, by the way. And, um, but it's true. It's a Jewish prayer. 
But what I want to point out is the fact that in that prayer, he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this book, more than any other place in all of Scripture, of course, we see it on Isaiah 6 and various other places, every time that veil is parted and we go into the heavenlies, what is the business of heaven? Worship. Worship, worship, worship. And as I've said before, A.W. Tozer, the great teacher of, 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 of the first part of this, uh, of, of last century, A.W. Tozer, and into the, I guess into the 60s or 70s, he called worship the missing jewel, the missing jewel of the evangelical church. It's a really wonderful book. If you ever want to pick it up, it's a, it's a quick read, but it's so powerful. The missing jewel of the, of the, of, of the body of, of Messiah is worship. So we're going to go ahead and look now into the coming of, of, the, of the bowls of wrath. But before that happens, we're going to see something very special here. So if you turn with me to um, Revelation chapter 15, we'll look at verse, verse 1 first. Good place to start. Then I saw another sign in heaven after the... The, the, the judgment that we just saw, the, what we called last week the grapes of wrath, the terrible judgment that happened at the ever, very end of the last chapter. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God comes to completion. A great sign, a mega sign. John has used this term, great sign, several times before. In Revelation chapter 12, a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. We studied that. With the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. We get the word mega. Anyone know the word mega? Young people use the mega, man. They say that's mega, okay? A great sign in the heavens. A powerful sign. Something you'll never see anywhere else is basically what he's saying. And the word pela means a sign is what it means. But it means something that signifies something even greater than itself. It's a sign that actually teaches us of deeper truths. It's, it's a sign that signifies even more than what you're beholding with your very eyes. A great sign appeared in the heavenlies. And then he talks about those angels who are going to come with the, uh, the wrath of God. Seven plagues. But before he, he gets into that, he always wants us to focus on certain things. Even though all these signs and all these things are going on in heaven, the writer of this book, remember, John, St. John, John the Divine, the beloved disciple, a lot of people don't realize this about him. He was a pastor. Did you know that? He was the pastor of seven churches. The overseer, the apostle, the pastor. He was a working pastor before he got whisked away to Patmos. He had seven churches that he loved greatly under his authority. That he was the shepherd of. And one thing that is so unique about this book and the writings of John as he writes like a pastor. He writes in such a caring way because he is writing to people. You think you got it rough in 2013 in New York City, America? You think you got it bad here, folks? 
Read about what these people were going through at this time. Read the seven, the seven letters to the seven churches. That's what they were going through. Read about the times that they were going through. These mostly Hebrew Christian believers, Messianic Jews and also Messianic Gentiles. Read about the type of tribulation and persecution that they were going through. Read some histories of that period. And John is well aware of those sufferings and pains. So he's telling it like it is, and he always tells it like it is and like it's going to be. But he always wants his people to know there's hope, there's encouragement, that there's the Lord God is going to give you that ticket at the very end of whatever you're going through. Anyone here ever read um, The Hiding Place? I'm sure some of you have read The Hiding Place. Remember Corey's aunt? Remember the story? I haven't read it in a long time. I hope I can remember it correctly. But she, she was going to, she was a great woman of God, Corey Ten Boom's aunt. A mighty woman of God and really influenced along with her father, uh, Corey's life and Corey's sister's life. And she was going to be facing death. And she was going to be facing death and after a long life of serving the Lord and, uh, Corey or Corey's father, I don't remember who it is, said, you know, you're going, you're going to, you're going to be leaving this place. You know, that's pretty rough, you know. I don't know if she was very ill or what, but she was going to be leaving this earth to go be with the Lord. And she said to him, she said, I may be going through a lot of hard stuff right now, but I know when that moment comes, when I am facing that very moment, he is then going to give me that ticket. That train ticket is going to be there right when I need it, and he's going to take me right express train to where I'm going. I may be going through stuff right now, but when I need that ticket, and these are the kind of people that John is writing to. They're writing, he's writing to tr- what we call tribulation saints in the future. People that are crying out, How long, O oh Lord? How long are we going to go through this stuff? How long are we going to have to... I'm not talking about rising of the of metro card prices. I'm not talking about that. How long are we going through the stuff that we're going through with this evil ruling empire over us and our pastors and our elders and our shamashim and the people we love being martyred? How long, O Lord... And this is even worse because now we're going to be talking about way off, or maybe not way off, but, but for him way off into the future, of what we call the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's distress. That's who he's writing about here. I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Verse 2, 15 two. And those who had been victorious over the beast, over his image... Over the net number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. We always find, oh, the number of the beast and how bad that's going to be and all this kind of stuff. And the number we get, we're looking it up in, on the internet and trying to figure it out. Now we're going to be able to deal with this stuff and all with it if we have to face it. And what's it going to look like? And, you know, is it going to be a mark here? Is it going to be my credit card? Is it my Sears card? What is it? These ones that are there, they got that ticket at that time to conquer. They conquer the image, the beast, and the number means nothing to them because they stand victorious. 
Because their faith was placed in Him. And they are victorious. On a sea of glass they stand. We don't know the numbers here. This is the 144,000. That's a different group. They went through stuff too. But this is a different group. This is multitudes and multitudes standing on a sea of glass. The sea of glass can mean a lot, lot of different things. One of the things it reminds us of is Moses in the sea and the children of Israel when they got to the other side right after the sea was parted. And the victory that was wrought through Moses when he delivered them. And they looked back at that sea and then the sea was placid. But it wasn't really placid because that sea too was mingled with fire. The fire of dead charioteers. The fire of Pharaoh's army in that sea. And fire always represents judgment. These are people who've gone through the sea of judgment. A sea of glass mingled with fire. They've gone through judgment and they are now standing on top of that sea victorious. Maybe it also represents the, 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 the brass labor of, of, of washing in the, in the temple too. The water of God's Word. There's a lot, the water of maybe mikvah. Because they were mikvahed, the children of Israel, we found out were mikvahed with Moses, remember? We're told that. Maybe it means the mikvah, we have gone down into death of the self and come up on the other side victorious in Him. Because you've been buried in that sea and come up on the other side. And that's what's happened with these people, one way or the other. God's Word, the Sea of Reeds, the Sea of Tribulation. There's all kinds of beautiful images, but the important thing is they're standing on top of it victorious over the image of the beast, the beast, and the number of the beast. None of those things matter to them anymore. And they're holding harps of God, of God. And we always, people make, you know, we used to make jokes about, you know, you know, angels in heaven with little harps and stuff like that, you know. I don't think that's what heaven's going to sound like. There isn't a rock concert yet that you or I ever went to that's going to have the thunderous joy and victory and hallelujahs. This ain't no hallmark card with little angels and harps, folks. This is a deafening roar of the universe of those who've been redeemed, praising and worshiping God. Great and wonderful are your amazing deeds. You think they just kind of whispered that in a low hush? You've redeemed us. This is a heavenly choir worshiping. Saints and angels together worshiping God. They stand victorious. It says here, and they sing this song. But it's not just any song. It says it's the song of, verse 3, of Moses and the song of the Lamb. How wonderful that is. It all harkens back to what Moshe did for us. And the Lamb of God and God has not forgotten that. First great song in the Scriptures. The first great utterance. Remember we said when God does a great thing, He gives you a great song. What is greater than the song of Moses by the sea in Exodus 15? The first great song. We sing words from that. Who is like thee, O Lord, amongst the gods? You are awesome in praise. Micha Mocha, we sang that this morning. You're awesome in praise. You've redeemed us. The horse and the rider, you tossed and, and buried in the sea. Who is like thee, O Lord? Great and marvelous are your ways, your amazing deeds, O Lord. So remember, 
Remember that in the heavenlies, God has not forgotten what He's done with His people Israel. So many images that we're reading, so many things that, that, the, that the John writes about hearken back to either the plagues of Moses, the plagues of Egypt rather, or the deliverance of Egypt. This was always on the mind of the early saints, especially these saints that were going through stuff. It's so sad that it's been cut off in such a, re- such a terrible way from the body of Messiah today. This stuff was always on the mind of the first century saints who overturned the world and changed everything because they understood what God had done in the past. They understood that it didn't just start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And John constantly, as I said before, refers us back over and over again to the prophets and the early scriptures and what's transpired before. That's how you get hope. You take a look and you say, he's done that before, he's done that for them. Children of, of Israel, the Hebrew children, slaves for, for 400 plus years. And overnight, in an instant, God took a no people, a people who didn't even know who he was, and turned them into the people of God. Took them through the sea and brought them to that mountain with Moses where they sing that great song of victory on the mountain. What God has done. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are all your ways. They are people who understand. I wrote this here. Those who stand on the crystal pavement are those who have emerged victorious over the beast. They sing now because they've never abandoned their faith nor succumbed to all of the threats. You know, there's going to be a great falling away. Do you know it says that in the Scripture? There is going to be a great falling away. Brothers and sisters in the Lord are going to look around and they're going to see people that they were in Bible studies with and prayer meetings with or in church with or whatever. And they ain't going to be there no more. They're going to be falling away. But these are ones who will not fall away. These are ones who will stand victorious. They are the overcomers to whom the seven letters that we studied earlier held out promises of you will, through your victory, through your faith, eat of the tree of life. You will never be, you will never taste of the second death. You will feast on the hidden manna. These are all promises from the letters that we study. Go back and look at the letters in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. Probably the two single most important chapters in the entire Bible. In the entire scripture. The church was, now, and will be. And who we are. But the church, the entire history in, in those two chapters. You will have authority over the nations. You'll be dressed in brand new white garments. You'll have the honor of becoming pillars. These are promises. Pillars in the temple of God. You'll be the foundation of what He's going to do into the future heavenlies and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. You'll be pillars in God's temple. The song reminds us, once again, as I said, of of Moses' song by the sea. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? You are majestic in your holiness. You're awesome in glory. These are words that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Awesome in glory. Working wonders, O Lord. Exodus 15:11. All the nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. For the rest of this book, almost every time that John speaks about his, his, his heavenly Father. 
He uses the term Lord God Almighty. Those three names of God. He is Adonai. He is my Lord. I serve Him. He is God of all the nations. Whether the nations know it or not, He is God. Turn on television. Turn on uh, ABC or CBS or NBC or any of the networks at 10 o'clock at night and see who America worships. Find out who is the God of this age when you come to the temple of, 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 of the networks. Take a look and see who are the gods that we worship as a people. And it's only going to get worse. That's a word. <laughs> it's going to get worse. More worse. <laughs> it's gotten worse. And worse. How long is God's judgment going to be withheld from the gods that this nation worships? It doesn't matter what we say. It's a matter what we do. It's a matter what we spend our time. Lord God, You are Almighty, the mighty God. You're the God of all of the angel hosts, the Lord of hosts. You're Almighty. You're El Shaddai. These people understand that because they've tested, as they've been through the fire, they tested His faithfulness and His might and His sovereignty. Lord God Almighty. It's used, I think, nine times in this, in this book. It's used once in the rest of the entire Brit Kadashah New Testament. These people really need to hear that. He is Lord, He is God, and He is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty God. And He does great and awesome deeds. These people know it. One day all of the world will see it. All your glory and all your deeds will be revealed to all of the nations one day. That's one thing that, that Israel and the children of Israel really didn't have a grasp on. They didn't understand that yet. Hadn't been revealed to them. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, and all the nations of the earth, no matter what, what union they might belong to, no matter what their, 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 their political beliefs might be, no matter what gods they worship now, they will see that He and He alone is God. And they will bow before a mighty God in the end. The psalmist said, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you and reveal before you. Loving kindness, truth, justice, righteousness. All these things will kiss, the psalmist said, at the very last day. All these things will come together. Righteousness. Not, not just like, I'm just a good guy, but the righteousness of God in His people. The truth that is revealed in His Son. The justice that will be upheld because He's given us the absolute plumb line of what justice is and righteousness is in His Torah. All these things, the nations and all people will be held accountable unto. The works of His hands are truth and justice. All His precepts are sure. In Zechariah at the very end, it says, And the Lord in that day in that day, and that's what we're talking about here now. In that day, whenever it says in that day, it means at this time, at the very end, in that day, on that great and terrible day, in that day, the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name holy. 
Zechariah 14.9. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? That's what these righteous saints sing out and cry out. Who will not fear you and glorify your name? These are people that have something that most of us have lost today. I've spoken to Jeff about this a lot. We talk about this. Something called, you're not supposed to mention it from, from the Bema. It's called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It's, a, it's very politically incorrect to talk about the fear of the Lord. But these are people, and the ones who are victorious are ones who understand what the fear of the Lord is. Because He is sovereign, He is Lord, and He is King. And He, he ain't just me and my buddy Jesus like we used to say back in the 70s. He loves you. And He loves you very much and He hears your cries and He he wants to walk alongside you, but He ain't your buddy. He is a holy God. He is a God who can only be approached in a certain way. Approached because of the precious blood that was shed by this holy God. He shed His own blood that we might come to know Him, to approach Him, not just to kind of saunter into His presence every time we kind of just kind of feel like we, we, a little need is needed or like, a, like a, a sweet tooth needs to be satisfied. He is a holy God and we need to understand, as these people did, the fear of the Lord. Who shall not reverence and fear your holy name? That's something we need to absolutely pray about. And once we understand that, then we will come into His presence and worship Him acceptably. It doesn't mean that we have to be pious and, you know, like these pictures of like, you know, pilgrim churches and stuff like that. But reverentially coming before Him, understanding who He is, and then breaking out in worship, and worshiping Him, and singing unto Him, because that's what He wants. King of all the nations, who will not fear you, who will not worship you, for all your righteous works have been revealed. You know, Rev. Shaul, in the, in the book of Romans, in his epistle to the Romans, talks a lot about the last days. Men will become scoffers, haters of God, lovers of themselves, and just do whatever they, you know, you know, do your thing kind of thing. Anyone remember that? You know, do your thing. One thing he mentions in there, Paul, in, in, in Romans 3.18, and he actually is quoting the Old, Old Testament, and then he says, one of the great sins is there is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God before their eyes. People raise their right hand, put their hand on a Bible, and, and swear in a courthouse, and then go ahead and think nothing of lying. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at the people that surround us. No fear of God. No even understanding of who He is anymore. I'm not saying we were the greatest nation on the planet or anything like that. And, you know, this was a truly, absolutely Christian nation. I'm not going there. But there was a time when people lived a certain way. Just in their everyday dealings with one another. Because most people knew there was somebody that they were going to be accountable to one day. Most people knew that. It ain't like that anymore. It ain't like that. Whatever you do is okay. And it's going to be okay and you have nothing to worry about. Just go on doing whatever you want to do. You've got no one that you've got. And that's because, mainly because, the churches don't really preach the full gospel anymore. They don't preach the truth. We're all going to be accountable. We're all going to stand before Him one day. 
We're all going to stand before the great judge of the ages. Great and marvelous are your works and your deeds, O Lord. But he's the one that can take us there. It says in the, in the, um, in the Song of Moses, back to the Song on the Mount, Exodus 15, 13, it says, In your, this is Moses and, and the children of Israel speaking. In your unfailing love, Exodus 15, 13, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. You will lead them. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. That promise is fulfilled, what, some 5,000, 6,000 years later in the book of Revelation. You have led these people to your holy dwelling. They're standing right outside the heavenly sanctuary, and that's where they're singing this song. We're going to see that later on in this, in this chapter. They have been led to God's holy dwelling and they're standing right there by the temple in the heavenlies. God in all of eternity and here is where they're singing this incredible song. You have brought them, you've planted them on the mountain of your heritage. The place where you dwell. The place that you have created. Your heavenly sanctuary, O Master, that you established with your own hands. Throughout all of eternity, you are God. And may I add, through all of eternity, these people will stand in His presence. Singing before Him. Worshipping before Him. You want to be in that chorus. You want to be at that concert. You want to be part of that throng. No matter which group that you might be in this, in this book of Revelation, there's several, many different groups. You want to be amongst those who are in the heavenlies for all of eternity, worshiping this holy God. Let God rule forever throughout all of eternity. I want to just read you something really quickly here from this wonderful book. It's called Reversed Thunder. It's about the book of Revelation by a man that I admire very much, Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson wrote this. Let me see where I can start here. Um, John's insistence on contextualizing everything that these people think, experience, and feel is in the act of worship. It's not fussiness, liturgical busyness. It's not people who cannot bear the mess of their ordinary life and escape into arranged little ditties that they sing in church with incense around them, chanting some rituals over and over again. No spiritual leader, speaking of John, has shown as much evidence as this man, St. John, has of being in touch with and responsive to the manifold difficulties of living a difficult life in a difficult world. John's recurrent representations of worship, they're not pious, escapist little fictions, but they're theological convictions. What he is saying is that worship is not something idle. This is not something that people just do to escape everyday reality. Worship is about our lives. Our lives in Him are about us worshiping Him. And over and over again, we see the proof of that in this incredibly difficult book. This is not just a little Sunday go to meet in church service we're talking about. This is not a bulletin where they hand out you know, books that you read and you read old hymns. This is about new songs, life-changing songs, worship that rocks all of the eternities, that rocks all of the galaxies. 
And they, they understand this is their life blood. It's not something you add on to which I go to churches and teach in churches all the time. And they got a 20 minute worship service. 20 minutes of four hymns. Not all, but many. The point is, we are to be worshipers of the living God. And if any book proves it, it's the book that John wrote and the Lord gave us. The revelation of Yeshua. The revelation of Yeshua shows in the heavenlies that these people are worshipers. And that's how they overcome the beast, his image, and that silly number that we worry about so much. Because their lives are filled with worship and praise on earth as it is in heaven. Can I have the worship team come up? We're going to go ahead and do garments of praise. We're going to worship the Lord. We'll have our prayer team come up. If anybody wants prayer, you can come up and, and pray with our people. We'll have our, some of our prayer people up here. Let's go ahead and stand together. Put on your garments of praise. I can find this. Studying in the book of Revelation and um, also trying to keep on focus with all the stuff that's around us that... Uh, speaks to peace and lack of peace in the world and things that uh, just um, kind of touch on on what we're what we're studying what I'm studying here and trying to bring to you so my 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 antenna is always up and out for different things in the news that might uh, pertain to us and I saw this interesting uh, article and um, I'll just kind of paraphrase it but it's a it's about it says in a recent meeting, there was a, a new World Council meeting. These people were meeting secretly. World leaders, won't name the names of all of these world leaders. And um, they said, be it resolved, these are the, this is going to be the, the constitution of, our, of, of where we're going in our new world government and where we're going to be heading. And these are the things that we want to bring to the people of the world because they're very philanthropic and they really care about us. So they've come up with this list of, of various things that they want to uh, bring for us, the people of the world, the people who are kind of under them and depend upon them. Number one, be it resolved, that all nations would, know, would move towards a radical new program of provision for health for all mankind. No one would be left out. All mankind would be provided with the health care and the, um, the care that they need. Number two, food and clean water will be available to all nations, rich and poor. doesn't matter who you're going to be, whether you're a rich nation, one of the great you know, nations of, 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 with, with, with much, whether you have much or little, all people are going to have food and water provided for them. Um, there would no, no longer be any more form of world domination by people who are less powerful than those people around them. No more subjugation. There would be minimum standards of working conditions outlined for all people by common consent. All these rules will be established. No one will be um, taken advantage of. All people will be taken care of. All, number five. All authoritarian governments and political systems and leaders will be abolished. One new world, true world religion, recognizing the oneness of all man with one universal God, will be established for us. And seven, universal peace 
will be promised. You know, Haman was saying there's a lot of people who don't have peace. They're going to go ahead and give us universal peace. And this will be established. And this will be the law of the earth. Okay? We don't have to meet anymore. Of course, that's all fiction. And when we read the book of Revelation, we see that none of that is really going to happen. In fact, much of the very opposite of that is going to transpire if we can believe this prophetic book. Now, number one, I want to say that this book of Revelation is an authoritative word from the Lord of all of the universe. It says in the beginning, this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. This is His revelation to us who are earth dwellers. Now, how does He know these things? Well, number one, He's one with God. He's the very Lord Himself. He's the Lord of all creation. And number two, even though we look at prophecies and all of these kind of things, how can they know these things? Well, we live within a time-space continuum. I'm not going to get into the, the physics or the science of that. God does not live in the same time-space continuum that we do. It says that He can see all things at all times from the beginning until the end. It's not that He is just ahead of time. To Him, time doesn't exist. All of eternity, He is the Alpha and the Omega. The Aleph and the Tav. The beginning and the end all at once. So He can speak to us as the prophets did. He's not the only one. We have Nevi'im, we have Isaiah and Daniel, Joel and Zechariah. We have Elijah. And now we have this great revelation of Yeshua put together for us by the man that we call Yochanan, John from the Isle of Patmos. Putting all of those prophecies together in this one great revelation that God has given to him. Remember, he heard the very heart of God. He was the apostle whom Yeshua himself loved above all the others. Now, this next chapter that we're going to go, go into is Revelation chapter 16. This is probably the chapter of the Bible that pastors, myself, or anybody who is a pastor would least like to teach on of any single chapter in the Bible. But I am a faithful pastor, and I'm going to go ahead and preach on it. I was having so much problem with this that I was going to skip over it. But I went to my brother Skip, Skip Heitzik, and he said, don't skip over it. And he also said that this is the hardest chapter of the Bible that any pastor or teacher would want to teach. Just back up to Revelation chapter 15 first, the very end of 15. We studied this last week. But I want to just kind of give a little, just very brief introduction into where we're going here. Revelation 15 verse 5 says, After things, after these things, I, John, looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. He is seeing into the very tabernacle of God here. He's singing, seeing into the heavenly of heavenlies, where God Himself dwells in all of glory. The testimony of the ark was opened, and seven angels who had seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, 
clean and bright, girded around their um, uh, temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. Can I have the second slide? Second slide. Come on back up. Seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, the one who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were opened. What we are going to proceed on to now, what we are going to see now coming in chapter 16, proceeds from God. This is not man-made stuff. It's not ecology failing. It's not the lack of the brotherhood of man anymore or our, our, our infidelities towards one another or how unnice we were or how we stopped with the right political processes and we're just kind of, uh, you know, getting the, the fruit of, of what we've, of what we sown. This is from the very temple of God. This is God's last judgment on the earth. This is not just, you know, we polluted the waters a little bit or we didn't listen to Al Gore enough and the air is getting a little unclean. No, this is no longer. That's past. That's gone. Gone beyond that here. This is where God says, I'm going to answer the cry of my people, my saints, who've cried out throughout this book, throughout all of history, and have said, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Do we have to endure what's going on around us? This is God's answer to His people who've cried out throughout, not just recently, not just in this tribulation period that we're looking at, but throughout all of history. This is the answer where God says, now the time has come. Temple was filled with smoke. It's absolutely the holiness of God. Remember Solomon? Remember how the priests couldn't, couldn't enter in and couldn't even worship because the glory of God? That's what's in mind here. This is the glory of God being revealed, but in judgment. I shouldn't say but in. In judgment. It is still the glory of God and it comes directly from control headquarters in the temple where God dwells. These seven bowls are coming from Angels who were dispatched by the Lord. Count the first slide. So this is Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard, John saying, a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Seven bowls being poured out. The idea here is they're not deep you know, wells with, with uh, wrath, seven shallow bowls. And most commentators believe, and I believe, that that signifies here that these seven judgments are going to happen rapidly. One bowl is poured out, then another bowl is poured out. Another bowl is poured out, another bowl is poured out. There's not any deep wells here. These things that are going to happen to the earth are going to happen in rapid succession. God's going to take care of business swiftly and quickly. And remember, God wants to come to the rescue of those who are His saints who are left 
under these terrible conditions. So the true religion, the one true God, is going to pour out wrath upon the earth. But it says in the Scriptures that my wrath is going to be overflowing with righteousness. There is nothing unrighteous about what God is going to do here. Everything that we're reading here comes about because man has consistently, over and over and over again, refused the mercy. And anyone knows that God is a merciful God? That God is long-suffering? And He waits and He gives us so many... If we didn't have any chance... If we didn't have other chance... I wouldn't be here this morning. Anybody else can relate to that? God's mercy, His love endures forever. His loving kindness is forever in our lives. But there will come a time when God says, I must, in my justice, judge all those who have said no over and over again. His cup is full and it's now flowing with overflowing righteous indignation. Can I have the next slide? We're going to see seven bowls that are going to be poured out here. This is an overview of them. I'm not going to get into detail on all of them. In fact, we're only going to look at the first five of them today. Revelation 16.2 says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and it became loathsome and malignant sores on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his image. Loathsome sores on those who had already accepted the mark of the beast. Something we have to remember here is that one of the things that Yochanan is doing is he's connecting all of the dots of Nevi'im. He's connecting all the dots of Tanakh, all the prophetic voices. He is the great compiler that God is going to use to say, remember what I said to Zechariah? Remember what I said to Daniel? Remember how I've warned you for the last how many thousands of years? This is not a new thing. This is the voices of the prophets come to fulfillment, come to fruition. Most of these plagues are so old that most people can't even remember where they come from. But almost all of the plagues that were... Anybody ever celebrate Passover? Anybody ever read the Ten Judgments on Egypt? Nothing is new under the sun. Yochanan is showing us that all of these things were because they refused. The Pharaoh refused. His people refused to let his, let God's people go. What did God's people want to do under Moses? Moses came to the Pharaoh and said, you must let my people go so they may go out three days journeying to the wilderness and worship their God. Ultimately, every battle in Scripture is about who is going to be worshipped and who is going to stop those people who worship the living God, who is going to stop them whatever they can. So all of this really goes really right back to Egypt. Pharaoh says, they can't worship God. I am God here. Over and over, Moshe said, they want to go out. What do they want to do? They want to sacrifice and worship. 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 It is so important for us to understand how Yochanan also, John in this book, emphasizes worship. Every time we look into this, you know, it's like, are those people in heaven so bored all they can do is worship? 
with all of this stuff going on, what are they doing? They're worshiping. They're singing. You know, to the rational mind, to our normal rational minds, that sounds crazy. All this stuff is going on on the earth. And they are worshiping the living God. Singing praises to Him and worshiping Him. Acknowledging His sovereignty, His goodness, His mercy, His majesty, His glory. Do not think. Now I tried to extend the worship this morning. It might have been my mistake. Okay, I got carried away by this teaching. Do not think that worshiping God is ever, if you're worshiping Him, a waste of your time. He has called for us to be a people of worship. We see it from the very beginning. We see it into this book of Revelation. They're called to worship the living God. So as I said, this goes back to all of those plagues in Egypt. Loathsome sores to those who receive the mark. Now it's really interesting because nobody really knows what causes these loathsome, terrible... Now, there is a plague in Egypt of the, of the boils and stuff like that. But this is worldwide. To all those who um, have accepted the mark of the beast. It's really interesting. Because commentators have shown and said, and science has even shown, there was a study done back in the sometime in the 60s, late 60s. They wanted to develop a chip. Anybody know anything about a chip? This goes back, it's not a new thing. This goes back to the 60s, late 60s. And I think it was Boston University, I'm not quite sure. They had these, these scientists develop a chip. And originally that chip was supposed to be for, you know, good purposes. You know, if, if a cat or a dog gets lost or cattle gets lost and you're a rancher, you can go and get your cattle because the cattle's got a chip in it, okay? That was the origination of what we think of today as the chip, okay? And it was all done for good purposes. Now, what's really interesting and has been shown about these chips is that many times in the cattle or the person, when the chip fails, or sometimes doesn't even have to fail, but when the chip fails, it puts out a chemical in the body. And they've seen that some of these chemicals in the bodies of these animals or people that have these, these uh, uh, animals rather, have these chips, they get Skin rashes, different kinds of rashes break out in their body because chemical is released in the body and the blood system, I guess, can't, get, can't you know, absorb it and they get uh, rashes. That's the first sign of the beast right there. <laughs> and who knows? But if all, because it's interesting, only those people, now there are trip, what we call tribulation saints, very few at this point, because most people have denied God. But only those who have accepted the beast, who basically have that chip within their, their bodies, in their, in their hands and on their forehead, wherever it might be, that's where they think it might be. They are the one who break out in these loathsome sores. I mean, it's just a speculation. But it's possible that when these angels pour out this wrath upon the face of the earth, maybe all of those chips are going to fail. Maybe all of those people who have those chips in their bodies are going to, because of the failure of those chips and what happens to them, they're going to be break, break out in these terrible, loathsome sores. Terrible sores. So it's part of the wrath of God, but it's also this kind of a naturalistic thing here. But beyond that, what is really being said about loathsome sores coming from within these people is that it's, you know, 
within them that there is putrefaction. These are people who are basically already dead within. And these loathsome sores and diseases, and we read this in Leviticus, they're, they're excommunicated from the world. They're filled with corruption. They've already accepted corruption. They've accepted the corrupt ways. We've studied it. We've looked at it. The corrupt ways of the beast, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They said yes to that. So they are filled with death and corruption. This is an outward manifestation of that corruption. The next bowl. The seas turn to blood and all sea creatures die. Remember in Egypt what happened to the rivers and the waters of Egypt? The first plague. What was it? The rivers all turned to blood and all of the crops and all of the things of Egypt died. Turned to blood. There's actually been, because I've you know, been studying some of this stuff, there's actually been cases that happened in Florida. So watch out if you want to retire in Florida. There was actually a case in Florida in the late 40s or early 50s where the sea turned red blood, like, like the color of blood, the ocean. And what it was were there was these microorganisms in the sea that had mysteriously appeared and mysteriously was they were leaching out all the oxygen from the water. They were taking out the oxygen from the water. And as they did that, the sea itself turned, what's the word, viscous, 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 and red like blood. So almost all of these things already have some kind of a, a prehistory. The waters and the seas are going to be undrinkable. What happened there was the, the oceans actually stanketh, okay? You know, if you can imagine the Hudson or the East River at its worsteth, okay? That's nothing compared to what's going to happen to the seas and the rivers that people depend upon for drinking water, for crops, and all of these things. Already there are these terrible, terrible things going on in the earth. And now on top of that, the sea itself is going to turn... Um, where is it? The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers, the springs of waters, and they too became blood. People are seeing these things with their own eyes... And yet, over and over again, we're told, and they refuse to turn away from their ways. They refuse to repent and turn to the living God. Over and over and over again. The third angel pours out his water. Everything becomes undrinkable. Now, all of these things, as I said, this is God's final judgment. If you remember, back in Revelation chapter 8, I don't know if I have to go there, but uh, chapter... Chapter 8, all of these things happened before, but it was only a third. This is earlier back in the tribulation time. A third of the rivers, a third of the air, a third, one third was destroyed, a third of the world's population, one third. The meaning of this is God had already warned them. But back earlier in the revelation, His judgment was not final. This is really not a time for, you know, the last call and, and God's final repentance, uh, people's final repentance. They've had that. That's what the one-third of all of these judgments meant back in Revelation chapter 8. 
One third of this, one third of everything we're seeing now, which is in complete fullness, was a warning back then. And still, they refused God and they refused to change. Stay tuned to Solace Radio.